Thank you for tuning in to Movie Geeks United. From sword and sandal epics to ambitious science fiction, Ridley Scott is one of the most visionary and prolific cinematic artists of the past five decades. His immense body of work is explored in the recent biography from Vincent Labrudo, titled Ridley Scott, A Biography. I last spoke with Vinny ten years ago. He was one of our first guests on our ongoing The Kubrick series. Even then, he mentioned that he was eager to begin a book on Scott. We were pleased to reconnect with Vinny after all these years to discuss the work of his latest director obsession. The challenges were immense. You know, when I did the, the book on Stanley Kubrick, you know, there was like nothing out there. Practically, whatever was out there was out there, meaning um, there were no, there really was no real biographies. There was one, but it wasn't out yet. And um, there just was no information to, to speak of, and I had to, you know, step-by-step uh, step find it. Um, with Ridley Scott, there were a number of books with no biographies. Hmm. You know, one of the problems in writing a biography where you, you know, with the source material that's already published, is you really don't know. You do your best to check it, but you really don't know, uh, you know, whether it's accurate or not. And to a certain extent, you know, you go back and forth. Uh, you know, they say, you know, you have to get at least like three sources, two sources that match up. So um, I wrote him as I always do. You know, you're supposed to let people know at least that, that you're writing a book. And in his case, I, you know, I said if he had time, I'd like to, um, you know, to talk to him. And I got a, uh, a message back from his agent. and said he would love to talk to you, but you know he's always busy, and if he can, he can. And of course, uh, you know, I never heard from him because, because he was so busy. So to answer your question directly, the hardest part, was like the first two or three chapters in the book. I mean, there was like nothing about, you know, uh, nothing to, to speak of, of depth of his background, where he came from, what the area was like, uh, what his parents were like, all those kind of details. And um, my wife, Harriet Morrison, uh, works with me, uh, you know, on research and stuff. And she was digging, I was digging, and we really had to piece it together, and then once you piece it together, then you go over it and over it and over it and over it until it has a prose feel mm -hmm. that, I'm, to me, the, the, the thing I'm most, uh, I'm proud of the whole book, but I'm most proud of, of the first two or three chapters. So that was the major challenge. The other challenge was I sort of started out thinking, I don't know if we talked about this 10 years ago, but thinking who... Who else was a Kubrick? Mm. You know, after you do Stanley Kubrick, you want to do people that are really, really meet up to a standard. And I always thought that Ridley Scott uh, was one of them. There were other people. It's so long ago. Uh, James Cameron was one, in terms of the technical chops, a Kubrick, but not gravitas. Right. Uh, Michael Mann, uh, Terrence Malick. You know, one could argue this, but but I thought that that Ridley Scott. First of all, they apparently had met. I don't know uh, how how close they were, and um, you know when Ridley did his first, Ridley Scott did his first film, uh, The Duelist. He studied Barry Lyndon left and right. Mm. I mean, it is Barry Lyndon in a sense. So those are the the major challenges, and the last one was, uh, you know, this is a confession. I hadn't seen every one of his films when I signed up to do it. I had seen, you know, enough that I knew, you know, I knew what a great filmmaker was. But, um, you know, nobody makes films one after another. Kubrick did. I thought people would argue that some of Kubrick's films are, are not great. I, I would argue against that. But, but eventually uh, I started to realize that there were films that, um, you know, were not as great as, as I thought. And those were hard to deal with. On the other hand, there were movies that I had seen didn't know a lot about, like American Gangster, which I think is a masterpiece. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, but, but uh, that that uh, that correlation between Kubrick and Scott, uh, the way I see it, they both have a distinctive style, um, 
and uh, they've both pushed the medium, or at least uh, certain genre filmmaking, forward in a big way. And uh, and of course that the Shining connection with uh, Kubrick using his footage from Blade Runner for The Shining, which seems remarkable. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. Well, well, I tell you, you laugh. I, I, I was rolling on the floor when I heard it because it didn't make sense. I mean, they must have been very good friends because Kubrick didn't let anybody see anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but it was like background footage. So maybe he felt that was a bigger deal, but everything was a big deal for Kubrick. But but there there are all those connections. You know, the, to finish this thing about the gravitas, is that, that I think uh, Ridley Scott has about as much gravitas as you can. I mean, obviously I put Kubrick on a very high uh, standard with Wells and a few other filmmakers. Not everybody agrees with me, uh, but um, I think most people do. But but uh, but really, Scott's films, I think, have a maybe not the same kind of gravitas. He also makes has made a lot of films. Kubrick made thirteen, right? In what fifty years? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but you, know, the, you make a lot. Of, yeah. There there is a big difference too between the, the working styles because uh, uh, I, I've often heard Ridley talk about uh, you know I, I I'm not an eighty taker. You know, I I don't do 50 or 80 takes of much of anything. So he's he's very efficient with his time. Ridley is right. It's right. also you know the I, I fell in love with two things with a million things with two two three things with with Ridley Scott the Ridley Graham, which is a storyboard, mm. and he you know Kubrick was a photographer, uh, Ridley Scott uh, was a painter. The other thing is, I think I call it in the book something like floating fluff, that for texture, mm. he often has like things, it could be snow, it could be dust, um, you know, uh, those, those are, are very unique. But he is very efficient, uh, you know, the methodology, uh, you know, there are similarities, as you say, but a lot of differences. Yeah, and that floaty... Um I mean, you see, you see those kind of floating particles in something like Legend, and then you see the the oh, yeah. the, the smoke. He has his films, and Tony, to to an extent, had the same kind of feel to us. Some kind of like gauzy, kind of look to their films. Yeah, I mean, being brothers, you know, one of the painful things about the passing is that they talk to each other, talk to each other either on the phone or in person every day of their lives mm. you know so uh, you know where uh tony is is completely different he's like you know uh he calls his films rock and roll you know yeah. <laughs> but but yes yeah, so, so so the 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 point is is that because they're brothers and he was an older brother he looked up to him there was some exchange of uh of ideas and and uh you know using certain techniques yeah and with ridley it's just the, the strength of his eye, and I think er, early on, as he started a, a, an arts education, he he really gravitated towards graphic design, right? Commercials, uh, production design, probably some graphic design early on at art school. Yeah, this is a guy of a lot of talents, you know. Uh, probably he he hits more areas than almost any filmmaker I know. of. Yeah, and it shows in the films. Yeah, and you know he worked for the BBC. I mean, it's a long, you know, another overnight success. Forty <laughs> years old, first right. film. Right. Forty. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> well, he it's paid amazing. he paid his dues. I mean, during that time, he made thousands of commercials. I mean, thousands. that's training right there. And I don't think I found every one, but I found like the Hovis one is very famous. You could look that up. Mm. It's still on, on the uh, on the net. And um, the thing is, you know, everybody thinks of uh, Wells and Spielberg, all these guys that started real young. There were other, I could name, you know, one other major, major, major filmmaker. Uh, I don't do films, uh, directors who don't speak English or English-speaking films because I don't speak the language. And I'm Italian-American, but I'm not Italian. Michelangelo Antonioni, mm. 40 years old. Years old. Oh, did he really? I didn't. I wasn't aware yeah. of that. I just yeah. did a. I just did a big show on uh, Zabriskie Point by Antonioni. Um, 
Uh, yeah, he's a filmmaker. That's not a bad film. A lot of people trashed it. I mean, I, I saw it, uh, you know, when it first came out, uh, first Red Theater. Uh, you know, I was a little disappointed, but as time goes on, I really, really like it a lot. I do, too. I do, too. Um, Ridley, I mean, you mentioned he was 40 when he got his chance to do his directorial debut with The Duelist. The... Um, it's interesting to me how, and he admits this freely, is that it took him some time to kind of master how to converse with an actor. <laughs> yeah, he was not too good with actors. He yelled at them, or he just said nothing, or he yelled and screamed a lot, and then and then he worked that out. If I can say something quickly about about the duelist, sure. You know, when you when you were, you know back in the day, I, I'm, I'm 70 years old now, right? So the the you know that whole 70s period. Uh, you know, they, you know, before and after. I saw movies first run, so I go to see this movie. I went to see everything, so I went to see this movie, The Duelist. That sounds interesting. I didn't know that that much about Conrad. I didn't even know it was based on Conrad. I'm watching the movie. I'm saying this this guy. I'm going to use the word you just used. This guy's got some eye. What mm. an eye! Mm. And you know, the only thing I was a little concerned about was Harvey Keitel. You know, uh, him being believable, the accent. And, of course, now doing the research, I, I understand. But anyway, when it was over, and I said, really, Scott? Really, Scott? I think I said something like, you're going to hear from this guy, you know, or I can't wait to see his next film. Yeah. But, that, you know, as, as much as one could chuckle at, 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 at that, you know, uh, not that you're chuckling, but, uh, you know, you, this happens all the time. I saw Mean Streets, they had to pick me up off the floor. Mm. But uh, but the Duelist is a handsome film. Oh God, and and uh, not easy to make. You know, none of them are easy. They they shot some of the fencing scenes in Ridley's uh, hotel room. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it, if we talk about his um, uh, distinctive style, which certainly comes from his his design and commercial work, but. You know, he got some criticism for that. Some some people felt that the duelist was just a, a kind of an empty exercise in in style. Well, this goes back to the beginning of our conversation. You know, in the sense that you know what attracted me to, to him is the eye. Kubrick also, but you know, nobody makes films just for the eye. Really, if they're there, I don't, I don't know who they are. But you still got to tell a story. You still got to work with actors. You still have themes. But I think what happens is a lot of people who say things like this don't understand visual language. How do you? I've spent my whole career. I've, I've done books on the crafts, cinematography, sound, editing, production design. How how do they tell a story? Mm -hmm. And they all do. So and also he grew. You know, as we say. Uh, as time went on, but he got, you know, uh, I'm not so sure the reviews have gotten that much better, a little bit, you know, but they always throw in, you know, the eye part, <laughs> yeah. the, that kind of thing. Yeah, as if as if movies should not look good. <laughs> what is cinematic? What does cinematic mean? Right, exactly. And, you know, we can sit here and name films that don't necessarily look, you know, spectacular, but are good. But I wouldn't want to have that conversation. Yeah. You know, movies should be movies. Right. The um, And he, in order to grow, I mean, you could see it by looking at the range of his career, he, he seems to be really interested in ex exploring different genres, stretching himself in, in that way, telling totally unique stories. Yeah, he, uh, you know, in a, in a sense, I mean, that's another uh, connection, I think, with, with, with Kubrick, is is that, you know, what he does with genres, uh, you know, he sort of reinvents them. Um, you know, again, uh, American Gangster is a gangster movie, but it's, uh, you know, it's a gangster epic. The, every one of them, I, I, I think, you know, the like, actually the thing that's most interesting to me is the whole scientific, uh, excuse me, the whole sci-fi sci thing. Mm. Um, because he announced several times that he didn't like science fiction, he was the right guy, and he continues to make them. <laughs> and it can't be because of the money. can't be only because of the money. And mainly because, you know, yes, he has money, but that's not why people make films necessarily at that level. They're, they're good, and they, and, they, and he keeps evolving them. 
So I think what he's done for science fiction is, you know, the, uh, you know, his biggest contribution. Yeah. Did, did I answer yeah. your question? No, you did. You did. And, and, okay. and, and ju- sure. just the, the the range of his career in terms of, I mean, he's he's done comedy with something like Matchstick Men. Uh, he, he's uh, he's done done these sword and sandal epics. He yeah, did Thumb, yeah. Thumb and Louise, you know, film noir. I mean, he's he's really pushed himself into different areas. But uh, you know, it's funny, Matt. I'm sorry. No, go ahead, please. Yeah, um, Matchstick Men is is one of my favorites, and it is. You're right. It is categorized as a comedy, um, but it's really more of a dramedy. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, the writers, I think, sort of thought that, that it was a dramedy. But, but he, you're right that he's always, um, you know, he's always reinventing uh, the, the genres and, and finding ways to do it. And for the amount of films that he's done, it really is, uh, really is amazing. For, well, let, let me let me talk yeah, about because uh, you mentioned sci-fi, and 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 I know a lot of people categorize Alien as sci-fi, but really, I think it falls into more of the horror camp, even though. Those two oh, kind yeah. of straddle he each calls other. It a beast. He calls it a beast movie. Yeah. The, you know, he really, it doesn't look like any other kind of space movies. I mean, once again, his eye and his attention to set production and that sort of thing. Oh. The, set, the sets in his films are really amazing. And, and what he did as a production designer really was for uh, for television, for the BBC. But he's worked with some of, some of the best, and, and uh, I've had the, uh, you know, I've been able to talk to, to some of them over the years. The one I wanted to jump in is, remember I talked about that one of the problems in doing a book with a lot of films, yeah. uh, especially if you haven't seen them all, is I never saw a good year. Right, the Russell Crowe kind of right. ro- ro- more romantic kind of movie, yeah. Now, one of the reasons he did it is he has a house in that region of France. So that, that was part of the reason. I don't want to go too far afield, but I don't like that film too much. Yeah. No matter how many times I saw it. And, you know, when you write up, when you, you know, you're doing chapter after chapter, you give, you try to give everything, I mean, you know, the chapter on, on Alien is long, on, on Blade Runner is long. So when I got to a good year, it was, it was longish. But eventually I cut it down because I didn't think it was, you know, it was important to include it, but but I didn't think it was worthy. And maybe it's because it's something that he did, like you know, in between movies. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? Have you, you know, seen the good I saw it maybe a year after it came out, maybe two thousand nine. I don't know what year it is, but uh, it came out. But I did see it a few months after it did come out. And uh, there I, are certainly good things in it. Like I, the little girl is great. The little boy is great. Yeah, Finney and and the the love interest <laughs> uh, Russell is not the best comedian mm. in my view you know what is my view so what is <laughs> uh but he when he made films in europe and uh other areas overseas he he i think there's a rule against it in america but he would operate the camera himself wouldn't he yeah now this is an interesting subject because he was such a good cameraman you know he wanted to shoot all his films you know but it's a bit of a problem. Kubrick did, did all the uh, handheld work, but Ridley would could shoot the whole. You know, would would want to shoot the whole film. So eventually, he he did do. You know, he had to pull some strings and talk to people, and they finally gave him permission. But eventually, he did. Um, it was interesting because he used to stand behind the camera like the old timers, but then it got to the point where he was using eight, ten, twenty cameras. So he would sit behind monitors, but yeah, he was. Uh, it is. How can he be any different now? He's, he's a great, a great cameraman, and uh, and did do that, and then worked with a lot of cameramen, uh, sometimes for long lengths of time. Sometimes people who had worked with him on uh, on commercials. Mm. Yeah, and the uh, I, I, a few months ago, I talked to um, Tom Skerritt, and I asked him about. Ridley, and he said, uh, he said in terms of those the camera work. First of all, you know, it, it helped to to feel like he was right in there with them, That's right. operating the camera on his own, and, and then also the sets. I mean, to walk into that environment 
I mean, he said, you know, a lot of that work was already done for you to, to make it kind of a believable existence. You could move in, you know. Yeah, <laughs> not that you'd want they're to. Really, <laughs> they are not alien, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I love alien. I mean, alien has that structure of Agatha Christie, you know, and then there were none kind of thing. Mm. Um, and um, this gets a little racy, I guess. But, you know, when I first saw it, the end with, with Sigourney Weaver where she takes off her, uh, you know, her suit, you know, that was considered like the scariest, sexiest thing in movies. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could, I could see why. Um, she sort of had a hard time with him over the years, but she continued to to work with him. Um, he's, you know, he's, a, he, he I, like I say, he's come a long way. There are, you know, actors that love him, and and uh, you know, so some people that find him found him at the time a little, a little rough. Like Mimi Rogers, uh, you know, talks about. Um, Sort of watch over me, which another film that I love and a lot of people don't like. I just re- I just rewatched Someone Watch Over Me last night because I thought to myself, well, let me see a Ridley Scott film since I'm talking to Vinny tomorrow, and that's the one I chose. And I think it's just a it's a beautiful kind of new film noir. Uh, it's just got a be- about yeah sorry yeah it's got a beautiful sheen to it. I love that movie. And it's got that theme we all love, two worlds, you know? This guy's going back for two worlds. And everybody is good. Berenger is good at it. Lorraine Bracco was great at it. The kid was great. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, the, 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 you know, the villain, boy, is that guy scared. Well, and it feels like a movie that, because we talked earlier about his difficulty working with actors, and it feels like a movie where he got rid of the spectacle and he he wanted to do a more intimate character film. And I'm telling you, the the relationship that Berenger and Bracco have in that movie feels so authentic. It really does. You know, it's interesting because she's like you know what they call you know a pro, you know a Queens type, Brooklyn type girl, and um, you know a really solid person. And and he also has that quality, but yet he's believable that a, you know a very rich New York City lady would uh, you know want to get into a relationship with him uh and and if you notice you know just you just saw it the i haven't seen it in a while but the the uh uh you know the new york city is shot beautiful you know lights Mm. and all kinds of uh you always have lights but you know the way the lighting is designed and the uh the scenes with bracco are not prettified they're not beautified you know They're, they're shot reasonably straight but by right i haven't seen it in a while i think so too and she shot a lot yeah. in uh i mean her world is much darker than behringer's it seems i mean it's more kind of dimly lit but but right. the, those contrasts are so beautiful and the it, those contrasts announce themselves just in the opening credit sequence because there's this great probing helicopter shot up to the uh oh what is that building uh, Chrysler. The Chrysler building, and then it kind of pans over from the bright lights and glamour of that into Behringer's neighborhood. So those contrasts announce themselves right at the beginning, and it's a great, when it first, great thing. When it first came out, that opening shot, people said, "What?" I mean, you know, I've seen the helicopter shots before, the Chrysler building, and but you know. Part of it is also, you know, being from, from England, and he spent some time in New York uh, in the 60s, but he has this, again, the eye, you know, he knows how to interpret these these different worlds. And, um, see, the other thing is, if you look at his filmography, there's a lot of movies, as I've been saying, and you look at the years, Kubrick, every eight years, the ten years, mm. you know, it's, it's not a criticism, but Ridley goes one after another, practically. He does, yeah. So uh, so it's bound to be, uh, I mean, there's bound to be some kind of speed bumps along the way when you have that kind of output. But I think I, that's true. Yeah. I but, think that's true. And, and so, so, you know, you can't read a director's mind. You know, the way Ridley works, Kubrick, pretty much when he finished it, he said, okay, what am I going to do next? You know, he, he sometimes had an idea. But Ridley has, at any one point, he has a whole group of films that he, okay, how, how ready is this? Is this ready to go? We'll go with that, that mm. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but to him, I'm sure that that that, uh, that all the films, you know, uh, I don't know if he thinks all as good as others, 
But I think, you know, he loves them all. Why not? Why would he make them? Right. Well, I think there's such kind of a, a snobbiness uh, among the kind of intelligentsia out there about some of these movies. But, you know, this is a guy that made 2,000 commercials. He, he clearly has a work ethic. He likes to practice his craft. So that's what he does. He practices it as often as he can. And for people to begrudge him that... You know, it's like there's any any other they, job. There's one thing that they can't argue. The greatest commercial ever made hmm. is just numbers. 1984. That's right. <laughs> Have you seen it? The, the, the Macintosh ad that the he Macintosh, did. Macintosh, yeah. 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 I've seen it hundreds of times by now. And, you know, it amazes me that, that you know, in terms of color palette, it has the you know a certain color palette, really grim. Then this blonde woman in red shorts <laughs> comes running out <laughs> and bashes the thing. This is the other theme of uh, Ridley loves strong women. Yeah, his mom was strong, his his wife is strong, and you know and that's in all of them. But that commercial, n- n- nobody could top. Nobody ever will top it. Yeah, it was a game changer. Uh, and that that was a, that was a wise choice to go with him because they were they were promoting something they hoped would be a game changing product. So uh, and hey, it turned out to be. <laughs> you Kidding. know, he claims that he didn't know it was about computers. Really? I don't know if I believe that, but it doesn't really matter. It, it also was a long form commercial, you know. The, yeah, the, that was was new. It had had elements of like Metropolis in there, and it was yeah, stunning. Yeah. yeah. No CGI, no CGI. Yeah, and you and and talking about CGI, I mean, I I actually really loved the the second Blade Runner film, but uh, you know, I, and but when I watched it, I imagined Ridley doing his Blade Runner and having to do everything practical, uh, and it's just a stunning achievement, uh, his Blade Runner from 1982. Uh, when you're writing about movies like Alien and movies like Blade Runner, movies that have been explored ad nauseum over the years, is it challenging to find some a new bent on, on it? it? It always is. And I, I love the, 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 uh, the new Blade Runner. Um, they picked the right person. And actually, I, you know, I, I saw it with my wife, and she didn't like it very much. And I said, you know, this film was almost avant-garde, you know? I mean... Yeah. It, it, it wasn't difficult to follow, but you had to really, you know, you had to really think and, and move and, and, and go on with it. Um, just a, you know, a, a, another quick aside, you know, um, when you're doing a book, you know, with Kubrick, you know, he was going to do one more film when I started the book and then he passed. Um, with Ridley, I had, had to keep up, you know, since, uh, since I started it. And um, I'm talking to you from Hillsdale, uh, New York. And when the the Getty film, what about uh, Getty's... uh, All the Money in the World, yeah. Thank you. Um, It opened, it didn't open too wide, and we found out where it was here, and Harriet said, I think I know how to get this, we're driving and driving. She said, don't get mad at me. She said, we're going the wrong way. I said, (laughs) you know, don't, don't go over the speed limit. Would you believe it if I told you we got there two seconds before it started? It was like an old theater that, that uh, Roosevelt used to go to. I liked that movie, actually. Mm. I, I, I thought, you know, with all the, uh, you know, at that, at that point in the writing, to have to deal with, with uh, Me Too and all that was uh, it was painful, you know? Well, and, and it's another example of just how damn efficient he is. Because weeks before opening, he, he recasts a star actor and Red reshoots all of that. It's just incredible, unheard of. So, yeah, and he puts in the, the the person that he wanted that the studio didn't want. And you know, uh, he he, you know, they they could have done a lot of things. They could have just you know uh, shelved it. And he sat down and he said, you know what? These people have been working so hard on this from all the other people. Yeah. And he said it's really not not fair. We're going to go ahead. And he told the the studio. They said, listen, man. If if you were anybody other than Ridley Scott, I'd say you can't do it, but you could do it. They did it during Thanksgiving week. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and he served them Thanksgiving dinner. 
But but I think that you know that film is very complex. At first, my first reaction is, what do they want to do that story for? You know, see what happens when you're older. You say, ah, I know that, I know that. But young audiences don't know it. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating story. Getty was a really, I don't know, I don't know what word to use. He was a tough guy. Yeah, very much so. You, and the but, kid was good. I thought everybody, Michelle was good. Michelle Williams, everybody was good. When, but look, the look was great. Yeah, it was. But when he makes something like Alien and Blade Runner back to back, two distinctive movies that really push forward the film art, um, he had to have had a period of time where he had to resist typecasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He that's a very good point. He uses you know very good actors, and Blade Runner, as you know, was really tough. Uh, Cronenweth, who, uh, rest in peace, was one of the great cameramen, George Cronenweth, and they did not get along. The the uh, you know the, the crew didn't like uh, the Brits. The Brits, you know, it, it just it was it, it was really a nightmare. And he just kept moving on. The uh, you know the actors didn't uh, totally get together, and, and um, but he manages to to have a, a consistency. But the, what you say about back to back. You know, it's one thing if you do, you know, a medium weight film and then a lightweight film mm-hmm. or a heavy film and then a light, right? To do two cla- classics. I mean, my three favorite, um, can we do a three favorite thing? Sure. You, you ready? Please. <laughs> Blade Runner, Alien, and American Gangster. Your three. Of Ridley's, I mean, you know, you can't avoid Alien and Blade Runner. You just can't. Um, So they would have to be on my list, too. Uh, I'll have to think about the third one, because I like... Yeah, I put you on the spot. I put you on the spot. I like so many of his films. No, I know. Um, And, you know, know, see, the thing is, like, the third movie of anybody, I don't mean to put you on the spot, the, the, the third choice of anybody's film could be surprising. It could be Robin Hood. That's right. Yeah. I would... I wouldn't think so, but it could be, you know. Well, I just I also rewatched Thumb and Louise a few weeks ago, and and I was reminded just about uh, of how powerful that movie is, how much it That's works. That's another masterpiece. That's another masterpiece. I think so and, too. And you know, for a, for a man to make a woman's film, I mean, it used to happen all the time, but this is done in modern time, and uh, you know, it's one of the great scripts. And the ending, people are still trying to figure out the ending. I, I put down, you know, everything I could think of of what the ending could be, uh, and the DVD has an alternate ending. But um, you know, in some ways, if you've gotten that far in the movie, and I don't think anybody walked out on it, um, it doesn't really matter. You know, and the thing that, that, that was disturbing at the time, a lot of people thought it was a romantic thing between the two women. And it really was like they've come this far and they're going to go until they can't go anymore. Yeah. You know, it, it would have been interesting to have the car go right out of frame. Mm. This, you know, or the, if, if it stopped, there was the possibility of, of that hearing a crash. But that's what he did, and I think it left everybody leaving the theater wondering, what the hell? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and that always puzzles me because when I watched it, I'm sure you felt the same way. I mean, I knew what it was indicating. It was indicating that they they jumped the car over the cliff and they ended it together uh, in solidarity. But uh, yeah, they it, put their hands on each other before yeah. they uh, they go out. But it's interesting to me how people could have a different reading of that because <laughs> it seems hey, it listen, seems we, obvious. We could be to here. Me. We could be here all week. You know. Yeah. And, you know the other thing is. Is that a lot of people? This has happened to me too, where you're looking at a movie uh, and you know the, the ending. You say this this should be better be a good ending, and you don't like the ending. And you say ah, I don't like that movie. You had a lousy ending. But you know, movies are. You don't go to a movie for the ending, do you? You go for the process of it. Yeah, you should. But yeah. that is that that is. You know, it's also him discovering America. You know, it's a road movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the two ladies were fantastic. And what, what's that good-looking kid who's in it? Brad, uh, Brad, <laughs> did, sit. Close. <laughs> you know, and, and he always, you know, seriously, he, to this day, if you saw him on the street, we'd be lucky to see him on the street, he'd say, really, give me my break. Oh, sure. Yeah. 
He's a great eye for talent. Um, tell me about the... A, I'm sorry. You know, like Redford, he always had the looks, but he had the acting chops. They both had the acting chops. So people, a lot of people don't see it. Ah, good-looking guy, you know. Yeah. Tell me about the movies that he turned down, because reading your book... I was unaware that he, you know, he he turned down movies like Dune and Point Break. Now, Dune is a very specific story, very sad one. Dune, you know, went through uh, Jodorowsky, you know, the El Topo guy. He he uh, he got fired, I believe. But, you know, and what happened was his oldest brother died, mm. and he went to you know take care of what had to be taken care of and he called in and said I can't do it and he was like not in good shape for a very long time and um, you know you could only wonder uh, you know what, what that film would have been like I mean talk about it I had <laughs> sets uh, I sort of liked the David Lynch one at the time you know uh, a lot of people liked the, the one that Storaro was shot you know the uh the miniseries. Right. Now the point break I don't I don't remember why he turned it down. You know, but it's interesting though. Well, with, I, with uh Yeah, I like I like that movie actually. I do too. But with with Dune it's interesting because you know, we know what Dune turned into, David Lynch's film, and David Lynch kind of disowns the movie himself. Ridley Scott could have directed it, but instead a, a little bit of time passed and he directed Legend. Which almost feel legend feels like the uh, for Ridley Scott it feels like the equivalent of Dune to David Lynch because they were both these epic kind of yeah. science fiction efforts and they they really took a beating. <laughs> the legend I saw in the theater and I was like hitting my head you know and and then uh, you know later with doing the book years years later I realized that that there's a long version of it he cut it down himself. And he feels that he cut it down, you know, too much. Oh, yeah, severely. I think the thing with Point Break had a different title at the time. And he moved on to something else. And then Catherine Bigelow did it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what they're going to get back to that. But, but, um, but Legend, I think, is another one that some people would say, oh, my God, you know, it would be last on their list and some would be the first on their list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the biggest criticism, you know, again, talk about looks and chops, is, you know, a very controversial figure, uh, Tom Cruise. And, uh, you know, I thought he was good at it. I thought the girl, Mia Sara, was wonderful. Yeah. And, he, you know, he showed him, uh, as soon as he got off the plane, Tom Cruise, he showed him Truffaut's Wild Child, which is a, a black-white yeah. movie about a... Was he a professor? He who took a, a kid like right out of the, you know, out of the forest, and taught him to be civilized. He does that a lot. Like Kubrick did that. A lot of great directors do that. They show their people. You know, I want Scorsese. He shows you, you know, <laughs> as many movies as you could possibly watch. <laughs> that's inter- Legend- that's interesting about the Wild Child. I didn't know that. That was and that's a 1970 movie. That's uh, it's Truffaut. Truffaut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Director. But, but um, you see, the thing is, I don't know if anybody knew when Legend came out that it had been shown, it didn't get the highest numbers, and it cut down. And See, it's interesting. This is, I don't want to get into psychological type stuff, Freudian stuff. Uh, maybe he felt, maybe he wanted, not to destroy it, but he, wanted, he cut it down way past what he had to, you know? Um and, and it didn't do well. Maybe he was angry at, 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 the, at the critics. I don't know. Like I guess I don't want to analyze him. But the, I like the long version. It's wonderful. Have you seen the long version? I haven't. I didn't know it was available, actually. Well, you know, I, I talk. You know, sometimes you know DVDs go out of print, right? Right. I mean, I got by quite a while ago. Yeah, he cut it down to 80-something minutes. Oh, my God. Wow. That's like uh, the 50s, right? Is there a movie of his, I mean... That that has been uh, critically kind of ravaged, that you think deserves another look. That's a very good question. Uh, in, in some way, you know, ravages is a strong word and a, and a good word. Um, 
Black Rain, I don't, I'm trying to think what kind of reviews it got. That film I like very much. I guess uh, someone to watch over me. Um, this I'm pretty alone. You know, usually Harriet and I, when we're doing it, you know, we, we talk. She hates it. I, 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 I mentioned that, but I, I love it. I think that takes a, a second look. See, the, the other thing is, you know, movies should be timeless. Some are and some aren't. And some, you know, I taught for like 25 years at, at the School of Visual Arts in New York. And, and, you know, like Citizen Kane, they always, that's great. But there are some movies you say, you should see this, and they say, Vinny, this is like old-fashioned. So, yeah, it was made 40 years ago, mm-hmm. you know? But don't you think it's a great movie? I really didn't, uh, you know, because what we know about lifestyle and blah, 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 blah. So you know the the uh, the ravaging part. I I, I would say you know uh, mainly that. Um, I guess the, you know, I keep calling it the Getty film. You know, I, I guess that should have gotten you know better reviews or reviews that didn't just talk about Kevin Spacey. Yeah, you know it's interesting that you mentioned Citizen Kane. I mean, a movie like that. It just occurred to me. I guess today it almost feels like a movie that. You no longer watch to enjoy. You watch to study it. And uh, I think people have lost sight of just watching it and enjoying it. <laughs> you know, it almost Wouldn't feels, that be nice? almost feels like a homework always... assignment now. You know, um, I got one. Uh, 1492, Conquest of Paradise. Okay, yeah. The Columbus film. But see, that has become really problematic, especially now. You know, eventually they're going to not call it Columbus Day anymore. Mm-hmm. So that film, I thought was 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 an epic. You know, it. Uh, you know, it, again, the eye, the vistas, beautiful storytelling. You know, nobody talks about really Scott as a storyteller, or that he has themes, or or, or any of that. Um, just, you know, jumping around, another one I like is White Squall. The Jeff Bridges. You know that one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one with all the kids, with all the guys, the young guys. That um, that was difficult to make because, you know, a lot of it, um, he shot some of it in the water and some of it in the tank, and he announced that he was not going to shoot anything in the tank, and he had to do some of it in the tank. It's the best tank work I've ever seen. Um you know, if you look at an old movie and they're in a, using it in a tank, the waves don't look in perspective with the ship. Mm-hmm. They don't look real. And in this film, it really, it really look real. But uh, and, uh, and there's, a, you know, basically uh, through most of the movie, really, there's only one woman in the film and another strong woman. And Jeff Bridges, I thought, was great. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people love Kingdom of Heaven. They they consider that his kind of discarded masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's true. You know, I tell you, even people who write books on film and film historians and all that, we're human, right? Mm. You know, the Crusades is not my favorite topic. It's not to say that I don't recognize it as as a great a great movie. Yeah. Um, but you know the the the. The key villain, actually, I, I think I cut it out because I was running over over pages. He looked like Ming the Merciless to me. You know Ming the Merciless from, uh, you know, Flash Gordon? Oh, right, yes. <laughs> That's true. He was great, that guy. He yeah. Was, he was great. And, you know, the scenes at night, I mean, when Ridley Scott shoots at night, it's night. <laughs> you know, it's like day for night. Yeah. You know, I was watching last year, I, I, I rewatched Black Hawk Down. Uh, I mean, thinking about this, I return to Ridley Scott movies all the time. Uh, and I, watching Black Hawk, Hawk Down, I was just so amazed just by the 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 job, the amount of work that must have been it's done. It's amazing. Be- yeah, incredible. See, that's another one that, that, that technically, I mean, the editor won the Oscar, I believe. And, you know, the staging, he was on the ground shooting. And, uh, you know, it really, uh, it, it's amazing. I, it's not one of my favorites. In terms of the, the the storytelling, it's sort of linear, you know. Yeah. But but uh, but again, the, you know, if you had to like every topic, you know, guys like us go to, and people who are going to hear this go to a lot of movies. Yeah. I mean, I can't even count how many movies I've seen. You know, so uh, 
you know, when I went to film school, I saw like three movies a day for 40 well, years. Well, a great director can make you care about the topic. You know, and uh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. But Black Hawk Down, I was watching, and you used the perfect word, the staging, uh, because the thing is wall to wall combat. It never lets up. And I'm thinking, how do you stage these scenes with hundreds and hundreds of extras and make each one distinct so it doesn't feel like the same thing? You know, uh, oh, I know. Brilliant. Yeah. And that's another thing he has in common with Kubrick is the theme of war. If, if, you know, I mean, he studied all all of Kubrick's films. Paths of Glory, um, he did a short version of it. You know, when he was young. Yeah. The the it was that his was that his short film that he made? No, no, no. That was the experiment. Yeah, his short film was Bed and uh, what was the name of that? Yeah, that that uh, boy. Uh, boy, and bicycle. boy and bicycle, right? Okay. Now that one, you know, what's interesting. I'm sure you've seen like student films or first films of, of big directors, right? Scorsese is the most famous. He did a, a bunch of them. He did one called The Big Shave. That right. You knew. You said, "Gee, I hope this guy makes it, man. I, I can't wait to see his films." And you could still see The Big Shave in it. Ridley Scott, this film, uh, Boy and Bicycle, and Tony is in it. Have you seen it? I have. It's hard to see. Very hard to see. It, it was actually on one of the DVDs. I think the Duelist DVD, if I remember correctly. But but um, it's it's like James Joyce. You know, the yeah. writing is like James Joyce. And, um, you know, I'm not so sure it's well shot. But I think it's one of the few, you know, like Lucas did, did, did an early version of THX. Uh, you can sort of see his, you know, the films that he directed. And, and uh, Terrence Malick. Several people have done, you know, short films. And um, But in this case, it's very good, but there's no, I like using the term DNA. There's no Ridley Scott DNA in it. Mm. It's worth seeing, very worth seeing. Mm. You know, he also was a painter at that time. He was in painting school. Well, and that and that was a good 14, 15 years before he made his. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was uh, his first movie was what seventy six or the Duelist was seventy seven. So we're talking a good twelve right, right. twelve years before he would actually make a feature. Yeah, it's you unbelievable. Know. Yeah, amazing. You know, and then he you know he made a lot of commercials again. But America, I mean, he actually you know was you know he's he's somebody who I mean. All great film directors really want to be great film directors. But he could have been still be making commercials and making a fortune even in his 80s, you know? Oh, yeah. And in, uh, the, and in the 80s, and he, he could have made a fortune making music videos, too. I mean, music videos weren't, right. weren't around during his commercial time. That's right. He has a, a company, and his kids run it. You know, the kids are not kids anymore. And they make music videos. Mm. But, um, you know, you think of... Think of directors that span uh, non CG, no CG to CG. Scorsese is a perfect example. I, you know, he's getting a little bit better at it, but I don't think it's his thing. You know, he uses it because he has to. He's still a great director. Ridley, beautiful. Yeah. His his CG work is great. I'll tell you what I think about though. What kind of makes me sad a bit, and I see the same thing with James Cameron because James Cameron made these great muscular action movies, whether it was ali- right, right. Aliens or or tr- True Lies or, uh, you know, wh- whatever. And now he's committed the rest of his life to directing Avatar movies. And I'm hoping that Ridley Scott doesn't do that with the, with the Prometheus track that he's on. Yeah. Well, he claims that, 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 that he has several in mind. Yeah, the last one was not his best film. It was good. It was very good, but um, yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, it, uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, would, let's take Cameron and go with a step back. All those movies are great. Then he made this little movie, as they say. Uh, I think it won World Academy Award, Titanic. Mm-hmm. But 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 anyway, uh, that was a really bad joke. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Titanic. <laughs> I finally got to the left. Titanic. Um, you know, I saw it in a the theater. We saw it 
almost the theater was empty. It was like towards the end of the run, and we thought it was like great. Then I don't know. Some time went by. I saw it on, on television. Maybe it was because it was television. I I don't think we even finished it. It, it was just too long, and you know who cares? You know? Yeah. But um, well, years the ag- point is years yeah. ago when when uh, when they released Avatar, uh, I had he came on our show, and I asked him. I said, Do you, you know, could you ever see yourself going back to like a more kind of intimate, less amb- less ambitious movie, like a character strictly for the characters? And he said, no, that doesn't interest me. He said, look, I build things that NASA uses to put on Mars. Uh, if I do a movie, it's it's got to be the the impossibility of it that excites me, or else I'm not going to make a movie. I know. Yeah, I know. it's interesting. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you something interesting. You know, everybody, people were driving me crazy, you know, about Eyes Wide Shut, you know, with Kubrick, what is it going to be? And he had talked about doing a chamber piece, you know, like a chamber uh, music group. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, in talking, I said, well, I, I think he's going to do for... For sex, uh, for what he did for space with 2001, he's going to do for sex in this movie. It turned out not quite that, but um, that was a little. It was epic on some level, but it, it takes a lot of guts to establish yourself one way, big, and then or small, big, and then go back to small and quiet. You it know? really does. Uh, yeah, it, it is. And I think Cameron is a tremendous talent. Uh, supposedly he's a screamer, you know, like Willie was when he was younger, but he's gotten older, so maybe he's not, but that has nothing to do with his talent. Um, he has a big vision, you know, and uh, so you think pretty much that, that he's going to ride out with, uh, yeah. with Avatar movies? I mean, three or four more movies, which he's already shot most of, I guess. But uh, he, he's, he's between 65 and 70, right? Oh, yeah, he's, he's up there. Yeah. yeah, he's up there. <laughs> Ridley, I'm a kid next to Ridley. Ridley just had his what was he 82 something like that. And he, you know, a few years ago he made one of, in terms of pure entertainment, one of his most, one of his best movies, which was The Martian. I mean, the just purely entertaining that movie was. It Ridley. was very entertaining, and you know the 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 whole idea, the whole concept was was great, and. You know what's interesting about the you know when you when you do uh, you know if you're doing a job as a biographer you try to sometimes you can't read every novel especially if there's a lot of them uh, but I did read The Martian in hardcover and at first I said this is more like a not a comic book but it was like line 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 you know it, it wasn't a lot of prose mm. but I said you know this might make a good movie because you know and then, and then I saw the the movie and. Um, you know, it's got the thing to pull in for the hero. You know, it's, it's he always wanted to do a Robinson Crusoe movie. Mm. So, so that's that. It's got and, the uh, it's got a uh, 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 real punctuation on the comedy in it. You know, he plays that up, right. which is uh, you know, he's always wanted yeah, to do I a western. Com- he's never done a western. No, I know. Yeah. No, and I'm blocking the name. It's a very strange book that that is mentioned in the in, the, in my book. I'm blocking it. And I read it. It's like one of the most strangest, disgusting westerns I've ever read. It's like it's, it's like Carmen. It's like uh, Cormac McCarthy. Oh, that's another movie we should talk about. Cormac McCarthy. You know, uh, I don't know what it's. It's worse than Cormac McCarthy because he said he wouldn't work on with Cormac McCarthy early on, and uh, he always wanted to do a western, and he's he's not going to do this film. You could you could look it up. I'm sorry, I can't figure it out. But but I'm blocking it. I'm glad he didn't make it. You know. Mm. But um, but the one that we haven't talked about is the counselor. Yeah. Now now I've seen. I can't. I'm not going to list them all. But I've seen the Wild Bunch. I've seen every uh, what I call wild boy violent movie you could think of. So we saw it at a local theater here. And I'm watching it, and there was hardly anybody there. The few people were there. By the by, the time it was over, we were the only ones there. I had a hard time with the violence. The uh, you know, for those listening to this who don't know the ending, I won't I won't say. But uh, what happens to Brad Pitt? I had my head down for a lot of it. Mm. You know what scene I mean, right? Yeah. 
you know, I I know some people who love The Counselor, and I need to look at it again because I, I watched it in a preview before it opened, and I I freely admit I did not get it. It felt so disjointed to me. This brings up another thing. You know, and, and there's different feelings about this. Some people say there's too much sex and nudity, you know, in films. Ridley does not like it. He, he very rarely has nudity in his films. I thought that hurt this film. There is nudity with Kevin Diaz in the car. And I thought, I could be wrong, that that was a stunt person, it wasn't her. You know, just the height and all that kind of stuff. But at the beginning, when, when uh, they make love under the sheets, do you remember what scene I mean? Yeah, yeah. At the very beginning? I thought that was laughable. Mm. I mean, he should have started to get the hell out of it. I mean, it kept going on and on. What's the big deal showing a little nude? It'll show him nude, somebody, you know? I'm sure the actors wouldn't have minded. Well, that's not one of the things that he's he's most adept at. No, he's at. not interested in it. I yeah. guess the point I'm making is I think, it, I, I, I think sometimes it could hurt a film. You know, mm-hmm. it could help it or hurt it. There could be too much nudity, you know, like like is in in, uh, in a lot of movies now. Yeah, I, I got two two more questions for you. Uh, sure, you've been so so generous with me. Um, I want to know your Anytime. your thoughts on Tony, because I feel because he works in the he worked in the popcorn kind of genre, <laughs> uh, the mass entertainment, that he is underappreciated. I. I find in many ways that he feels he felt a lot like an avant-garde filmmaker. I mean, you all the yeah. crazy things uh, he tried with pacing and titles and all of that. I, th- I thought he was great. I'll start by not telling the whole story, but I was at a pizza place um, when uh, Kubrick died, and Harriet called there. And when I got there, she was standing outside and told me Kubrick had died, and I cried for hours. Um I'm trying to think that I think it came over uh, the, the internet or Harriet called me that, that Tony had died and he had committed suicide. Mm. You have to believe me, I have chills now while I'm talking to you. And, you know, I've read the accounts back and forth and back. You know, it will always haunt me. So, you know, it's the kind of thing you say, well, what, what do you do in the book? Well, you got to stop the book. It doesn't stop, but you got to stop it. The guy's doing the counselor. You know, I don't know if there's a connection between suicide and that, but a really violent movie. I don't know how it affected him. But, and, and, and then he goes, and I stopped the book to do a whole thing on Tony. So my feeling on, on Tony is that he was a master filmmaker. I think that I easily could have done um, a book on him. I think he's different. Then the people, you know, I did Kubrick, Gus Van Sant, Scorsese, you know, um, uh, Ridley, you know, uh, but, you know, he says rock and roll, people say popcorn movies. Those movies, this goes back to something we said earlier, they move. He yes. says rock and roll, it's like power rock. I mean, it's like, you know, they knock you on your, you know what, you know, and he really entertained people. He said about, he said his films... People, they're entertainment, people enjoy them, but they're not going to remember them. He said, my brother, forever, or as long as, you know, they can. So I like his films very much. I, I think they were very entertaining. I think he has as much chops as his brother. Uh, very close. Same. But he chose to do different movies. Now, why did he choose to do different movies? Because he didn't want to copy his brother? No, I don't think so. He's, you know what? Guess what? Brothers can be different people, right? Different sensibility, right? yeah. Yeah, that's a great word. A different sensibility, and he made, you know, I mean, Top Gun. Top Gun. I'm not gonna be make me foolish and say Top Gun is as good as Citizen Kane. But you know what? <laughs> you know what? Maybe it's the Citizen Kane of action movies. I don't know. I'm not necessarily saying that, but I'm saying a good movie is a good movie. You shouldn't compare. You shouldn't say, "Well, Citizen Kane does it better than that." Well, Top Gun changed. Uh, mo- Top Gun changed movies uh, in, in a big of way. Of course, it did. If for no other reason, because you know, it really brought us the Tom Cruise we know today, and Tom Cruise himself has changed movies in a big way. So uh, you know, and I think of Man on Fire and just the 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 bold 
stylistic choices he makes in that. And then I think Tony Scott went out on a really good movie with Unstoppable. And look, look at the Denzel movies. Yeah. What did he do, five with Denzel? Four or five? Yeah. And and when I heard about his suicide, uh, you know, I, I was confused at the time because it wasn't revealed why he would do it. But, um, but you know, later, Ridley Scott revealed that Tony had cancer. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a stranger thing to it. He said... It's inexplicable. I, I never. He, he'll never understand it because he actually was getting better. Huh. Who knows? I mean, suicide is is like I don't know what to say about it. You know, nobody knows. People think they know. You know, they they want to know, or they don't want to know. Well, either way, they they can't figure it out. Probably everybody has thought themselves in down moments of it. But to get in a car, write two letters. Get in a car drive all the way down yeah this is an unpleasant pleasant subject i was i always like to close my conversations on suicide yeah right on a a good note (laughs) on a high note but Uh, but it it was it was very sad and the saddest thing to all us film people is that there'll never be another film by him you know i thought that about kubrick and yeah I hope Ridley lives to a thousand, you know? And I know, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of filmmakers out there that are, are uh, definitely inspired by Tony. I'm sh- I, I know that. My last question is about the book that you said you're working on now, which is the the new wave, the cinema of the 70s. That's a huge s- subject. What, what are you zeroing in on in that book? Well, I read, I think I've read, you know, every one that, that came out. You know, the Biscuit book was, was one of the first... And, um, you know, they all, they seem to, most of them focus on uh, the American New Wave. And again, you know, uh, you know, in 1970, I, I was 20. So from 20 to 30, I went to all those movies. I saw them all. I saw Nashville in the first run, Tulane Blacktop, uh, even the last movie, the Dennis Hopper film. Mm-hmm. So everybody was booing and screaming. And I said, this is sort of interesting. I like this movie. Um, but what I wanted to do, you know, everybody talks about what a great decade it was, and it was. But even films like The Poseidon Adventure and all these other films that were not new wave films were innovative, were different than the 60s, and they set the tone and the mode of filmmaking that goes to the 80s, 90s, and, and now. So um, so the, the way the, the book is, is structured is that it's after an introduction, each chapter is a year. 1970. Nice. My favorite year, that's a good movie title. My favorite year is... um, (laughs) (laughs) My favorite year... I got that joke. (laughs) You got it. I I, I heard it. Is is 1971. Mm. Uh, You know, you talk about deaths... You know, I was talking about how they hit you. Harriet, I was looking at the computer, and Harriet said, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I said, what's the matter? She said, no, no, no. I said, what's the matter? She said, you're not going to believe who passed. I'm getting the chills again. Peter Fonda. Yeah. Hired Hand. Have you ever seen Hired Hand? I have years ago, yeah. But three people, you, you, me, and someone else. Warren Oates is my one of my favorite actors. That film is a... If it's not a masterpiece, it's a semi-masterpiece. You know, in, in those days, they, in, in that decade, they really had, they went off the cliff. Mm-hmm. 